Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We did a whole series primarily on the life of Paul the Apostle. But this morning we're going to start a series on one of the books that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God allowed him to write. And that is this book to the church at Colossae, book of Colossians. And today is going to be kind of an introduction to this book because before we get into it, and we're going to be in it for the next several weeks, maybe a couple months, we need to know something about it. I don't know about you, but when it comes to meeting folks or starting something new or going to a new place, I'd like to know as much as possible about that, about the people I'm around, about the place that I'm going to before I go into. I think it enhances our experience. And also, of course, when we're going into a new study, I think it's important to ask some questions about the Bible, the book that we're looking at. So let's start in verse 1, of course, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the church. Lord, we know the church is important. It's your idea. Thank you that, you that you love the church so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for it. We thank you, Lord, we're allowed to be in this church, this church specifically, North Gainesville Baptist Church. Thank you for all those men and women for over 32 years, close to 33 years, who sacrificed, who gave of their tithes and their time and their talent to make this church possible, that we can sit in an air-conditioned room we can have nice chairs to sit on, Lord. We can enjoy the fellowship with brothers, sisters in Christ. And that's all because of what you've done for us, because of the sacrifice and love of the brethren. I pray, Lord, that you help us never to take this for granted, but always be thankful for this place, this church that you've established in Gainesville. And we pray, Lord, today that you'd help us, Lord, as we see, look to your word. We understand some things about the history of this church, that we would gain appreciation for it and what was done there. And help us to be thankful for what you're doing in our lives and how we can be appreciative for what you've given us here. Now, Jesus, I pray, Father, that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. So whatever angle you look at this book of Colossians, you can pretty much realize and understand as you read it. And I hope maybe you've read it already in your, in your daily devotions that, like the rest of the Word of God, it's relevant for today. A lot of people like to delegate the Bible to, as I spoke to one lady yesterday, oh, it's, it's an important book. And I wanted to correct her and say, no, it's the most important book. It's not just one book. It's not just up there with Webster's Dictionary. Though Webster's Dictionary is pretty important. It's not there just with, uh, you know, the Britannicals encyclopedias. Remember the folks used to come by your house and try to sell you that thing? Now you can just go and get it for almost for free on the Internet. Oh, yeah, that's an important set, an encyclopedia. But, dear friend, there's never been a book, and there'll never be a book like the Word of God. Because it's not by men. It's inspired by God. That's why it is unique, and that's why this morning I'm not up here talking about the tales of Odysseus. I'm not up here talking about uh, some other book. Even though they be spiritual in nature, we're only going to be reading and studying primarily from the Word of God. But what can we learn from this important book and the city today? First of all, ask the question, why study Colossians? Why study, this, why study Colossians? Well, specifically because we are in an age of science. I read just last week, Elon Musk, 
Brain Computer Interface Company, Neuralink, has received FDA approval to start brain tests in human subjects. Who wants to be first? Neuralink announced last week it actually recruiting those subjects as partnered with a hospital to begin finding subjects for its first inhuman clinical trial, which the company calling Prime Study, which stands for Precise Robotically Implanted Brain Computer Interface. I'll quiz you later for all those. The study will evaluate the safety of its implant known as N1 and a surgical robot known as R1. It seeks to enable people with paralysis to control external devices with their thoughts. You say, wow, I can't believe it. Well, 20 years ago, you couldn't believe that we could pay for our pizza with our watch. But yesterday, I did it, Satchels. I did. The rapidly advancing pace of, society, of scientific discovery leads us to question God as he relates to the universe. Is he a part of a created universe or is he the created? Colossians answers that question. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him, not by evolution, not through a big bang, not from a, not from a monkey, but by him were all things created that are in heaven, that in earth, invisible, invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. You see, friends, if you don't believe God created the world in Genesis, how can you believe John 3, 16, that God sent his world, God sent Jesus Christ in the world to save men like you and I? If you believe that God created the world, not only this is an age of science, secondly, it's an age of ecumenism. Many want to seek to unify the world, religions of today. You see it in the bumper stickers, though not as much as we used to, but used to be see them saying coexist. I had a phone call just the other day on Thursday from this young lady, and she said, hey, I want you to, I'm inter are you interested in being a part of this movement? I said, explain what you mean by a movement. She says, well, everybody who loves Jesus, we want to unite us all. I said, well, explain what you mean by everybody loves Jesus, we want to combine us all. She said, well, the Catholics and these people and these people, and I meet with them, I said, uh, you're going to have to send me a whole lot more information about that. Because, dear friend, we can't unite with people who are, do not believe this book. But, uh, that's why it's so important to know what the book says. Because if you don't know what the book says, then you don't know what your, that Catholic person right across the street believes or that Mormon person who's coming to your house with that other person in white shirt. Or the Jehovah Witnesses coming to your house. You're not going to believe in what they believe. Or that Muslim who's in line in front of you at public. you got to know what they believe because they don't believe the same about Jesus. They say they believe the same thing about Jesus, but they don't. But you got to know the truth before you understand their error. This is also a time of rebellion of all types of authority. The, the theme of the world is question authority. Well, maybe because authority is not so great. Well, what about the authority that God has set up? You know, God himself has set up nations and government. God himself has set up the, the family. God himself has set up the church. Those things that God himself has set up. We want to question those things. But the Bible says in Colossians 1, 15, who is the image of our invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9. God is for unity, and under authority, God himself, Jesus Christ, placed himself under his father. Ours is the age of pragmatism. The question people ask today about a religion, philosophy, not whether it's true or not, but whether it works. 
does Christianity work for you? Does it work for you? Does knowing Christ give meaning? Does it give hope and purpose for life? Well, Colossians answers those questions in Colossians 1.21. And you who are sometimes alienating enemies in your mind by wicked works, are not, yet now hath he reconciled. Oh, I was on the way to a devil's hell. I was on the way to the path of destruction. Now because I've been reconciled through Jesus Christ, I'm on the path to peace. I'm on the way to see the Prince of Peace. My life is different now. And that's not coming just because I'm a Baptist or because I just believe, but because I place my faith in Christ alone. Christ makes sinners holy and blameless in God's sight. He changes lives. Rooted and built up in him, the Bible says, and established in faith as you've been taught, abounding therein and with thanksgiving, knowing Christ gives me stability in our lives, causing us to be thankful. The Bible says in Colossians 2.10, you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Christ fulfills all our needs that we're lacking. He, we can be fully complete in him. In him is everything. We don't need to seek some other deeper knowledge or some other greater relationship. In him we are complete. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 3, we are dead in him and your life is hid in Christ and God. Knowing Christ so radically transforms us from our old life which is dead. Letter E, if you're taking notes, is an age marked by frustrated relationships. Has there ever been an age where people, even people who go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night struggle in their interpersonal relationships? Even though they've been raised in church and read the Bible and study the Bible, people long for meaningful relationships. Most find those things, longings. there's longings unfulfilled. Many people do not know how to relate to their spouse, to their children, or their people they work with. I think a lot of times because they get their philosophy or their theology, I should say, their study of God, their work of God, their knowledge of God about marriage from the world instead of the word. When you're trying to do God's way, the world's way, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God has a way for us even in marriage. And the Bible talks about that through the scriptures in Colossians chapter 3 and 4. It tells us how husbands and wives and parents and children and employees and employees have a positive relationship. And we never ever needed that today. Oh, well, desperately we do. We need to know how to relate to one another and love one another and help one another, encourage one another. We need that today. Finally, our, 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 our years or, or our days is full of eschological wonder. What is the world coming to? <laughs> what, wh where, are we, where are we at? See, I think we're not just at the end. I believe we're at the end of the end. I think we're coming towards the end. I was reading just the other day about Iran. They are at 80% capacity of their, their desire to fulfill what they said they were going to do in making a nuclear bomb. 80%. So when they get to a certain degree, what do you think Israel's going to do? Let them get to 100% so they can shoot, fire a bomb at Israel? Oh, dear friend, I think war in the Middle East, as it has been, is imminent again. And I believe, friend, the, the rapture is nigh. Oh, I'm not in the name and dates, but I am believing that our time on this earth is coming to a close. And we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then she, she ye also appear with him in glory. I'm looking for not the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I don't want to stay on this earth too much, much, much longer. I'm ready to be with Jesus. How about you? 
I'm ready to see that mansion. I'm ready to step on streets of gold. I'm ready to see him. Oh, dear friend, you don't have to be afraid of him. We want to be with him. I wonder today, are you ready to be with him? If the rapture of the church happened today, would you be sad because you missed the meal? I think a better meal will be up in heaven for you. Oh, all these things is why we need to study Colossians. But the second question is, where was the city of Colossians? Well, the city of Colossae was located in a region of Phrygia in the Roman province of Asia, in what is now today called Turkey. It was nearby two other larger cities called Laodicea. You've heard of that in the book of Revelations. Revelation, and also in Hierapolis. It was part of a triad of cities in the Lycus Valley, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Unfortunately, during the time about 481 B.C., the Persian king Xerxes, or Hazarerus, as you remember him from the book of Esther, came in and did a lot of damage. In the Roman times, however, the road to Pergamus, another city you've heard of, was rerouted through Lycia, bypassing Colossae. So basically, they had a, had a small road like 441, which everybody went to, to visit that town, but then they built a bigger road named 75, and no one went 441 anymore, to give you a better illustration. So it was a declining town. Interesting, was known for earthquakes and also for wool industry. The population of Colossae was predominantly Gentile, but there was a sizable Jewish community. So why we study Colossians and where it was located, but thirdly this morning, who is the author? Of course, it's Paul the Apostle. Even through the rise of liberal higher criticism in the 19th century, people primarily have accepted the Pauline authorship of Colossae. Of course, there's always arguments against it. Against it. But such leaders as Origen, Clement of Alexandria, Chaturlian, Irenaeus, all attest to the Pauline authorship. There's been really no evidence against the fact that Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to write this book. So who, why study it? Well, where, where was the city? Who is the author? And fourth, when was the letter written? We read in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all that were dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In, in Acts chapter 19, verse 26, moreover ye, ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul persuaded and turned away much people, saying there be no gods which are made by hands from Colossae, from Colossae, there came a group to meet Paul who was in Ephesus. Ephesus was, of course, a major city that which we've looked at at length. And Paul was there for a space of about three years. And from that, some of that city, people from this city of Colossae went to. These people were Epaphras, which we'll talk more about, a Philemon, which, of course, is named after the book of the Bible, Epaphra, Acropius. All of them received Christ under the ministry of Paul. And these people came to Paul talking about their need or desire to start a church in the city of Colossae. And if we look at Colossae chapter 4 and verse 12, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect, complete, in all the will of God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 13, For I bear him record, he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are Laodicea, and them that are Herpapolis, the city we mentioned. So what happened to Paul after his time in Ephesus? Interesting enough, he traveled for a little time trying to go ultimately uh, to Rome. He had spent a little time in Greece. But when he ultimately got to Rome, he 
spent a little, some, was going to go to Rome, but took a little side excursion, went to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they didn't like him there because of his preaching on Christ. And ultimately, Paul wanted to stand before the Caesar. Because he wanted to stand before the Caesar, he was sent to Rome in prison there for many years. And there in Rome, uh, Epaphras comes to him and talks to him about their need for a church. And he talks about it, and we read about it in A.D. 63. And the Bible talks about this was a good report. We see it even in the first chapter. In verse, in verse 3, it says, we give, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So there was a need in the, in the city of Colossae for a church to be established. And primarily, this man named Epaphras said, I want to, I want to fan that need. I want, to, I want to do something about it. You know, and I thought about this guy. He, he didn't, he didn't, he, I'm sure he prayed about it. I'm sure he, he talked to others about it. But he took initiative to do it. And how important that is for all of us to take initiative when God is working in our life. And I thought about the people who founded this church, the, the need that, that was seen in this area, especially in this college town, to, 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 to establish a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church for the college students and ultimately went from there to this area here in northern Gainesville. These people took initiative. They saw the need. And this person of Praphras, this man of God, saw it and had a need Realized the need, and he did something about it. Why study Colossians? Where was the city of Colossians? Who was the author? When was this letter written? And four, and fifthly, what was the problems in the church? Well, the reason primarily that, that Paul wrote this church, of course, we've mentioned several of them, the primary reason because there was a heresy in the church. Like in any church, things can creep in, false doctrines, false philosophies, and there was one in that area. It was a combination of Eastern philosophy and Jewish legalism, the, which elements of the biblical scholars call Gnosticism. How many of you have heard of the term Gnosticism? Well, the term comes from, two, from, from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. An agnostic is one who does not know. The agnostics were people who were in the know. They wanted to be in the know. They, they wanted to believe in the or seek out the deeper things of God. They believed themselves to be the spiritual elite in the church. This heresy promised people such a close union with God that they could achieve spiritual perfection. And you know, there's people who believe that actual today. There's actual people that I've met who believe they've never sinned. And the next thing I want to ask them is, how long have they been married? And how many kids do they have? Because, dear friend, if you're honest with yourself, you have to recognize, even though you're saved, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Yes, spiritually speaking, in Christ, we're saved. And thankfully, we're free from our sin, but practically speaking, and we live in a world of, of the practical. Each one of us have, has a fellowship, a relationship with God. And because of our sin, sometimes that sin alienates us from God. I was talking to a man yesterday on visitation. Brother, if, you, if you've seen his yard, uh, his house, it made Fred Sanford's, Fred Sanford's place look tame. But I ventured in, thankfully my, my wife and some other people were waiting for me on the other side, and we started talking about Christianity and, 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 the, and having a relationship, and he had so much knowledge about the Bible. And he told me about things about Abraham. He told me things about David. And he asked my last name. I said, my last name is Moon. And he said, are you related to that? I said, no, I'm not related to Sung Young at all. 
we had an interesting conversation. And, I said, and he said at the end, you could see I know a whole lot about the Bible. And I said, you do know a whole lot about the Bible. But my question is, do you know, about the, author, do you know the author of the Bible? You see, friend, you can know a whole lot about the Bible but miss the whole point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to have a relationship with the author of the Bible. Because a whole lot of people know that that's what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, we went through Mark. They knew much about it. They had much of the Old Testament memorized, but they missed the word of God that was right in front of them, Jesus Christ. Growing up in a Southern Baptist church, I knew much about the Bible. I had to go because my parents made me go. But I didn't know Christ. That's the important thing in knowing Christ. These people, these Gnostics, they focused on the spiritual and, and they, didn't, they didn't like the, the, the matter. So they, they believed that Jesus Christ couldn't be the Son of God because Jesus, of course, was physical. So they believed that Jesus was actually like an emanation that came from the heavens. So they worshiped angels and they believed the, the spiritual was good and the, the spiritual was good, but the matter was, was bad. And of course, that brought all types of problems in the church. Part of their religion, part of them believed the rite of circumcision was helpful for spiritual development. They went back to the Old Testament law, trying to find spiritual perfection. Another group of them in the church said, well, what's the point? We'll just do whatever we, whatever we want. So there was all type of confusion and problems. So, so Paul writes this to the church of Colossae, saying that, no, none of these things matter. Your relationship is founded and complete in Christ. And oftentimes we find ourselves, even in today, trying to find some deeper walk some spiritual perfection, some spiritual fullness. People go through uh, different uh, ways of trying to get there. Some even get f farther into yoga or transcendental meditation or, in or oriental mysticism and the like, trying to find a deeper walk. But dear friend, the deeper walk is simply knowing Christ and living in obedience to him. That's all it is, is simply understanding your relationship with Christ and by the grace of God, walking in him, living for him, trusting him, obeying him, and failing in that time after time and realizing that salvation is not in us, but in Christ alone. That's what we learn through the book of Colossians. We see this introduction here. We see this introduction. I'm going to end with the introduction. Look at this. First two verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He introduces himself to this church as an apostle. Now, there's a lot of people today go around saying they're apostles, and I'm going to tell you they're not. You see, to be apostle, you had to be taught by Jesus Christ personally. Of course, Paul in the desert there did learn from Jesus Christ. But the people who say they're apostles, either they're trying to do that to trick you, or they just don't understand what the definition of apostle is. There's no apostles alive today. The last one, I believe, died with John on the Isle of Patmos. But he gives this salutation. We see the, the greeter in the salutation, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And Timotheus, of course, Timotheus is his son in the faith, though not a physical son, a spiritual son. And he was doing this by the will of God. He was writing this letter he believed by the very will of God. And that should be our desire every day, asking ourselves, if, is what I am doing by my will or by God's will. We see the greeted to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are Colossae. Now, when you see the, see the word saints, you're thinking about some statue. Dear friend, you know what today? You're a saint if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You're a saint. You're not an ain't. You're a saint. 
You know Christ is your Savior. You believe in him. It's not some wondrous miracle that you have to perform that changes everybody's that you get a name like St. Michael or St. Christopher. No, you could be St. Chuck or St. Tiny or St. Pete. <laughs> We're saints because we have a relationship with him. We're separated. We're different. We're saints. We're saints. We thank God for that relationship. He writes to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which at Colossae. Thank God for the faithful brethren. Some of you at this church, the reason why there is a North Gainesville Baptist Church that has existed for nearly getting closer to 33 years is because of the faithful brethren. The faithful brethren who come out and do work, the faithful brethren who volunteer their time, their love, their sacrifice, so that this place exists today. Thank God for the faithful brethren. It's that Colossae, of course, which we talked about. So we see the greeter and the salutation, the greeted, but the greeting. And he writes this familiar phrase, Grace be unto you, and peace from our God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, dear friend, grace is not something we just say after, before we eat a meal. <laughs> grace is what we need every day, amen? Grace helps us get to the place of salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. Grace helps us in our sickness. Paul was sick. We've talked about his time where he had that thorn in the flesh, and he recognized it was only by the grace of God was he going to get through that sickness. Grace helps us in our suffering. Grace helps us in our sickness. Grace helps us in our separation to live for God and not ourselves. Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Oh, thank God for his grace and then his peace. This world promises peace through some pill. This world promises peace of some relationship on this world or some prescription. But, dear friend, there's no peace in some relationship down here. There's no peace in a pill or prescription. There's only peace through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He's praying for peace. You won't find peace by going to find a book in the library or on the Internet. You'll only find peace through a relationship with Christ. Oh, what salutations he gave to these people who desperately needed because they realized at this juncture that they needed a church. And dear friend, as I have studied this the last couple of weeks, I realized the importance of the church for us today. God's will for us, as I mentioned, is to be Christians who are involved, being a part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And from studying this introduction to the book, I, understand, I came up with a couple applications as I began to study this. First of all, the church is God's idea, not man's idea. Sometimes when I go on visitation, I talk about coming to church, and they say, well, that's just, that's just something man brought up. Just, that's just something that you, you guys do when you, know, you get a degree in something, and you say, well, you do this to just get money, right? I say, no, it's actually God's idea. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's his idea. We should be a part of it. Not only that, we recognize that God loves the church. God loves the church. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives. How are you supposed to love your wives, men? Here's how you're supposed to love your wife. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in th instead of thinking, well, my wife doesn't do this and my wife doesn't do this, and you compare your cooking to your mama's cooking, bad idea. <laughs> Lots of trouble. You will be in the corner for many days. 
Instead of doing that, you give yourself to her. And not wonder, oh, is it your week to do the dishes and not my week to do the dishes? When you see the pile of laundry getting this high, you think, well, that woman hadn't done laundry all week. How about you start the load? What? Oh, man, there, there's, there's nothing to eat and it's 5 o'clock. Well, how about you cook the meal? What? If Christ was willing to love the church so much that he died for us, can't we at least fix a meal for our wife? Or cut the grass and take care of things? But you know what? A lot of marriages get stuck on stuff just like that. Who's going to cook the meal? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to clean the house? But love covers a multitude of sins. And instead of looking at your partner's, your husband, or your wife's weakness, how about looking at the positives? Amen. Because if Christ could come down and say, well, the church has all types of problems, and we do, but he still loved it and gave himself for it. Church is God's idea. God loves the church. The church is to demonstrate God's light and love in the world. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God desires the church be the picture of God's light and love in this world. When the world sees the church, they shouldn't see people who hate them. They should see people who love them. But you know what? To love someone, you need to tell them the truth. Yesterday I was speaking to a lady for about 10 minutes. She was an agnostic. She was an atheist. And she was trying to tell me that, you know, I wasn't right and that, you know, kindly and friendly that I should focus on this world because she believed there was nothing else but this world. And I said to her, lady, I don't know you from Adam's house, cat, but if I walked by here and your house was on fire, I would try to save you and your wife and your son. And that's why I'm out here. Because your house is not on fire physically, but spiritually, I believe, if you died today without Jesus Christ, you'd go to a real place called hell. And you know what? It's not easy to tell a person that they're on the way to hell. But dear friend, if I was going to the doctor, I'd want them to tell me the truth about myself and not sugarcoat it. How about you? We need to be love them enough to tell them the truth. And you don't have to do it in a mean way. And I wasn't mean. And actually, we shook hands and parted, you know, agreeing to disagree. But we need to tell people the truth. And some people are afraid to tell people the truth because you say, well, if I tell them the truth, they won't like me anymore. Well, dear friend, if they're if we're going to own the way to destruction, there's nothing better you can do but tell them the truth. We need to love people. I had a friend of mine just found out yesterday his leukemia. He posted it on the internet. And you know who the people were who were praying for him? There were people that were part of his church. He said, we're praying for you, brother. We're praying for you. That's what a church does. We love one another and pray for one another and care for one another. There's a need for the church and dear friend, may I say in all kindness, but in all confidence, being a part of a church is not about convenience. It's about obedience. Being a part of a church is not about convenience. See, for convenience sake, when I drive to Turkey Creek on, off of 39th and then 43rd and then 441 on my way home, I usually stop at that marathon station. Two reasons, because it has cheaper gas and secondly, because it's convenient. Now, I can go to a lot of, reasons, a lot of places because it's convenient, but when it comes to church, it's not about convenience. I just don't lick my finger, stick it in the air, and say, any, meeny, mighty, mo, which church am I going on 39th today? <laughs> no, I want to go to the church where it preaches the word of God, that it glorifies God. 
I want to go somewhere I know. I'm going to hear the truth from the Word of God on a consistent message, on a consistent basis. And being a part of church is God's will for our life. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the start of the church, we believe, the New Testament, when they gladly received the Word. When, When Peter preached and they gladly received it, they understood it and they were saved. They were, secondly, they were baptized, and the same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. The pattern of the New Testament church, where people recognized they were sinners, they asked Christ to save them. Secondly, that's a personal decision, and sometimes done privately. But then secondly, they publicly were baptized, whether it be in a, in a building, or whether it be in a creek, or a lake, or an ocean. That doesn't really matter where. What matters is they publicly profess salvation they're baptized like peter and james and john and mary and jesus who was baptized by his by his cousin john the jordan river they identify with the other christians and identify with christ his death and burial and resurrection so they were saved and baptized and thirdly they all became a part of a church an organization more importantly an organism they all became a part of it and i wonder the day are you part of this church are you a part of this body? You don't just come here because it's convenient for you, because there's only like two or three others that believe like we believe. Or you come here and you want to jump in, dear friend. We need, as a body of believers, to belong to a place. It is God's will for our life to be a part of it. And if you're a part of it, what are you doing to enhance it? What more can we do to help this place be all can it, that it could be not for the glory of North Gainesville Baptist Church, but as we sang this first song, for the glory of God. What can it be for the glory of God? That takes every member, not just coming and seeing each other, not just coming and singing some songs, not just sitting, but being a part of it and asking yourself on a regular basis, what can we do to glorify God by ministering through North Gainesville Baptist Church? What can we do? Well, first of all, you have to know Christ. And I hope today there's been a time in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That's the first step. And secondly, it's baptism. As I just mentioned, you know, I met somebody just the other day who said, I've never been baptized. I said, that's the next step. Have you taken that next step? Have you been, have you been baptized? Have you publicly professed your personal decision to trust Christ as your Savior? And thirdly, are you a part of a church? You say, preacher, I attend a church. Now, I think you should attend. I think you should try to figure out what's God's will for your life. But after you attend, I think you should jump in. In 34 years of being a Christian, I've always made a decision to be not just a a tender of a church, but jump in and be a member of a church. To say, by the grace of God, I want to be a part of this. Because, dear friend, if I'm going to meet Jesus Christ today, and I could meet him today, I want to say, by the grace of God, I did your will. And I have no doubt in my mind, it's God's will for me to be saved. It's God's will for me to be baptized. And God's will for me to be a part of a church. Are you, have you done that? You say, preacher, I'd love to do that. So what, was, what does it mean to be a member of North Gainesville Baptist Church? Well, as I mentioned, be saved, be baptized, agree to the to the bylaws of our church that we have written down and just come up after church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and say, I want to be a part of this. 
In all the years I've been here and probably all the years before that, when someone comes down here and says, I want to be a member, everyone has said amen. 